0: I'm Freddie. And I'm Andrew. And this is the New Statesman's Politics Podcast. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about immigration, the Conservatives' divisions over their own policies, Labour's plans for their time in government, and how significant this issue is for voters. Hello, I'm Freddie Hayward, political correspondent at the New Statesman, and joining me in the studio, I have our political editor, Andrew Marr. Last week, the Office for National Statistics revealed that net migration to the UK reached a record high of 745,000 in 2022. This figure relates to people given permission to enter the country, mainly to work or study. Separate home office visa and asylum data showed there was little change in the total number of people seeking asylum in the UK at 76,000 for the year to the end of September 2023. So, Andrew, where are we at the moment? We've had this huge surge in immigration, figures that we've not really seen in the past. Um, It's filtered through into politics. We're seeing it come up and the conversation is both splitting the Conservative Party and also providing some opportunities for Keir Starmer to mm. prosecute Rishi Sunak over his failure are uh, to reduce the numbers. I mean, where, where are we right now? Well, I think big
2: picture is that we have moved from a focus on illegal migration, stop the boats, mm. to legal migration purely because of these figures. And you're right, they have sent absolute shockwaves through the Conservative Party in Parliament. People on all wings of the party are really worried because they think they're going to lose votes in large numbers to reform UK. And there is a division right at the heart of government with Robert Jenrick, the immigration mm-hmm. minister who served under Suella Braverman and in that period was seen, as it were, as a gentle, moderate, sort of soft-spoken character, has got a four-point plan to, to remove or to, to raise, rather, the salary mm. uh, which you have to have before you're allowed to come here to work quite substantially to, I think, £45,000. Others are talking about £35,000 to ban dependence of students coming here, to tighten up the student Uh, regime considerably and also to get rid of so many occupations where at the moment employers are allowed to pay sort of 20 percent less to migrants than they would be paying to native-born British workers for the same job and that's not just care workers the care industry is a very big part of that of the numbers here but it's also people like you know architects business managers um, professional jobs as well. So Jenrick has got this list of things that need to be changed. And he has a bunch of supporters on the back benches, people like John Hayes and most of the Tory right, actually, who are saying we must have the Jenrick package. And he is clearly arguing inside the government with people, probably including his own boss, the Home Secretary, James Cleverley and others. And eventually, quite soon, maybe next week, uh, Rishi Sunak is going to have to come out and say, this, this is my plan mm-hmm. to deal with um, the, the, the big jump in migration. Um, And it'll be on the basis of the Generic plan, in which case Generic has, quotes, won uh, an internal battle and the right will be um, pushed by that. Or he's going to have to uh, uh, snub Generic. And then the question is, will Generic resign and will that be the next phase of the crisis? And sorry, one last thing I must say is we must remember this is all... a a problem on the basis of conservative policies. This is the conservative post-Brexit regime put in by Boris Johnson, which is failing.
0: Yes, so we had Boris Johnson come in and essentially liberalise uh, the migration system. In part, we should also say that many of the people coming have come from uh, Hong Kong under the BNO scheme and also from Ukraine mm. to flee the war there. That's part of the reason that they're higher than usual. Uh, but we're still expecting numbers over the next few years to stay around 200,000, 300,000, which is going- way above what, what Tory MPs want. Yeah.
2: And there isn't going to be a usual, I don't think, going forward, no. Freddie. I mean, I think um, we've, I've mentioned the war in Ukraine before, but um, things are going bad. The Ukraine is going to have to start to look at conscription of younger Ukrainians to keep going. And that's going to mean another big flood of people coming out of Ukraine into Europe trying to get away from that. So I think that's not over. Um, and I'm, you know, there'll be another, there'll be another, quotes, flood, quotes, yeah. of migrants from the next war zone. There isn't going to be a normal period where nobody moves because of those things.
0: No, exactly. And this is fueling this sense of disbelief, anger uh, within the Conservative Party because there are so many on the back benches who just look at this and say, as you said, this is our fault, this is something that we set up and which they have basically been angry about for a very long time, not just because of the um, boats coming across the channel, but also, as you say, Uh, legal migration. It is interesting, I think, that the narrative has shifted uh, so quickly. I think, um, maybe it was you, Andrew, I can't remember, the other day saying that uh, the tone of the conversation uh, for the past five years has gone from a focus on legal migration, EU workers' wages, to illegal migration, Mm. and we're seeing it shift back. We're seeing it shift back, in part because the numbers are just so high, but also because um, I think there is a recognition, finally, because we've got to remember that it takes a few years for the numbers to come through, that the system that we've got now, now we've left, uh, wasn't really the one that we voted for. I mean, the in- interesting question, what people will say is this, on this topic, is that people just voted for control. This is the democratically elected government, uh, and this is what they've instituted. Haven't people got what they wanted?
2: But, Freddie, we both know that that is Horlicks. People did. People voted for fewer migrants is yes. what they voted for. Um, And they've got the reverse. 1.3 million people in two years Mm. is an awful lot of people. Um, Now, I know because I've got a friend who worked in the communities in Manchester, worked in Chinese and other communities in Manchester. Uh, during the time, that during the referendum, the original Brexit referendum, there were leaflets going out in Punjabi and Chinese saying, vote Brexit, because we'll keep out the Europeans, and you can have more of your family members and more of your friends coming here instead. So minority communities were told at the time that this would be a consequence of Brexit, but the the majority white community was not.
0: Yeah, and it's also worth pointing out that vote leave, some people within vote leave, essentially accused the the EU system of being racist. They say we're necessarily excluding those from outside of the EU because we have free movement. Um, And the New Statesman as well back in June 2016 pointed out that the likelihood is that the Mm post-Brexit migration system will lead to higher numbers. So... You could say, okay, well, it's not a surprise, but I think you're completely right. It's not as if people voted for a a points-based system where they felt just they had control. Mm. It was obvious that uh, there was also a desire to reduce the numbers.
2: Well, they've certainly noticed it now.
0: (laughs) Well, this is the other debate, isn't it? Because um, there has been, in some ways, a liberalisation of attitudes towards migration uh, since Brexit. And the current narrative is that it's absolutely fine from a political perspective for the government to have such high-amp migration because people feel very comfortable with migrants. But I'm not sure that's true when you really look at it because whatever the salience of the issues are, 60% of people think that too many people have come to the country in the past 10 years. That hasn't changed. We've never had a government elected in since 2010 on a platform to reduce immigration. They've all said they're going to mm. reduce it. Um, so I don't see why just because people are so concerned about the cost of living yeah. that they will be less concerned about immigration.
2: And we have to look at the cultural aspects of this as well. I mean, we have a huge rise in Islamophobic incidents. It was raised in the House of Commons during Prime Minister's mm-hmm. questions this week by a Tory MP, uh, begging the Prime Minister to do more about this. And, of course, the huge rise in anti-Semitism. There's no doubt that for a lot of people, fueled by the what's happened in Gaza, the Gaza war, then uh, cultural tensions, community tensions are rising at the moment. And the danger, I think, for both Labour and the Tories is you look across the channel at the continent where uh, they don't have first-past-the-post systems, and you see such a huge rise in anti-immigrant, outright Islamophobic movements. And we haven't had it here, but it may come here. I mean, you look at Geert Wilders. Mm. In the Netherlands, it's not just that he has been a little bit hostile to a bit of immigration. He wants to ban, pull down every mosque in the Netherlands. He wants to ban the Koran in the Netherlands. He said that very explicitly. And he doesn't want to allow people wearing headscarves onto uh, public buildings. So there's an enormous yeah. gap between that kind of politics and anything you'll hear from Richard Tice or Reform UK or anyone on the right of the Conservative Party. But I think... At the sort of heart of British politics, there's an understanding that because of the the first-past-the-post system and frankly because of the way the Conservative family has sprawled over different groups, we have never really had an electorally successful hard-right or outright sort of Islamophobic or indeed racist party. But it might come.
0: Yeah, it makes you very grateful to have first-past-the-post when you look around Europe right now, I think. After the break, we'll talk about how Labour has responded to the rise in net migration. If you're subscribed to The New Statesman, you can get all of our episodes ad-free on The New Statesman app. You can get it on both iOS and Android. Just search for The New Statesman on the App Store or Google Play Store. We'll be back in a couple of minutes.
2: Do you need a gift that's priceless? Liberal, free-thinking journalism has never been more important. Give the stories and the perspectives that matter with 20% off our gift subscriptions this holiday season. View the link on the show notes to save 20%.
1: Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. The other party we have
0: to talk about here is Labour. Mm. Keir Starmer stood up in the House of Commons on Wednesday and delivered six questions berating the Prime Minister for his immigration policy and also quite explicitly saying that migration in its current form is suppressing wages in the UK. I mean, if you made that argument in the 2010s, I think you would have been accused of many things that Keir Starmer is not being accused of at the time. I've written about in Morning Call that when uh, Gordon Brown delivered his conference speech in 2007. British, British
2: jobs for British workers. Thank
0: you, Andrew. That's what I, what <laughs> I needed. David, uh, David Cameron stood up in that House of Commons a few weeks later bearing two leaflets. And one was a National Front leaflet, the other a BNP leaflet both of which said uh, essentially what Gordon Brown was saying. And David Cameron's question to him was, where's your moral compass now? That's Look at the shift between that exchange between the two party leaders back in 2007 and the one that we saw on Wednesday between Keir Starmer, who was furious almost that uh, the current setup, has, as you mentioned, Andrew, can lead to people from the overseas coming here and uh, having 20% uh, less in their wage packet than someone who was, uh, who was native here.
2: Yeah, that is a really, really interesting comparison, which I hadn't properly thought about before, Freddie, but it's you're absolutely right. What a change there has been. And I think it's also about the character, the political personality yeah. of Keir Starmer himself. You know, he's a prosecutor. You know, he's not just a lawyer. He's a public prosecutor. And I think he has an innate... Belief in law and order, discipline, yeah. hard work—all those He's things. You know, the, the, the white shirt, you know, the the tie, the suit. He, in many ways, represents the sort of soft authoritarianism that is instinctive to the British working classes. And that, I think, has been part of his appeal. But we shouldn't, you know, dodge away from this. This is not necessarily a naturally liberal, naturally metropolitan kind of man.
0: No, completely. And that's part of the change that's happened mm. in the past 10 years. Mm. It's not as easy just to say that Keir Starmer is a Blairite. I think that's much too simple. He, I agree. He speaks to Blair and... Uh, obviously wants to win in the way that Blair won, but the politics has changed, the country's changed, the rhetoric has changed. I mean, this is the other question. The Conservative parties have made all these promises for so many years, failed. Keir Starmer is now making similar promises. They have said they want to reduce the numbers of people coming in. Well, the next question, therefore, is can he deliver on that? Or are we going to see the same thing?
2: And we heard a little bit of a a, a ripple around that when Darren Jones, speaking on the, the Sunday broadcast round, Um, said that Labour would try to get things back to a normal 200,000 or so a year figure. And the Labour Party then went into full sort of um, emit mode saying this is not a target, this is not a target. They were very, very worried they were already being held to a target which they would inevitably fail to hit. Um, So I think it is difficult for the Labour Party, but this notion of restricting... Um, work visas across a big range of professions. As I say, middle-class professions, as well as um, professions ripping turnips out of muddy fields in Norfolk. That will go down very well with voters, and that we're going to hear more of that, I think. Just going back to, to Starmer's personality, yeah. as you very often point out, kindly, Freddie, I'm a very, very old git. And I'm thinking of the personality of the first sort of Labour leaders that I was aware of mm. growing up. And I'm talking about people like uh, Dennis Healy, and Jim Callahan. And there was that kind of slightly post-war, slightly post-military, kind of highly patriotic, old Labour right. And I think Starmer is much closer to that than
0: he is to Blairism. Completely, completely. And the other argument the Labour are making is that they have to have economic growth. We know this is absolutely central to their policy. It funds, in many ways, everything they, el- they want to do elsewhere. And then you have them also being quite critical of immigration, wanting to have an interventionist state which suppresses the labour market internationally, in in essence. How do they reconcile the two? Well,
2: very difficult, particularly when you look at specifically what they want to achieve. They want to have onshore wind farms. Yeah. And that means... Uh, Apart from importing large numbers of of blades and and towers and some of the the kit for wind farms, it then means assembling them. And you need lots and lots of experienced engineers, um, builders. um, If they're going to have a big house building program, we don't necessarily have enough skilled builders, never mind concrete and timber in the country to do that. So that means importing not just the stuff, but also the people to do it. In the past, those kind of skills came very easily from Eastern Europe, where people had been trained up to do exactly what they were going to be doing here, but um, were prepared to take lower wages from it. But in the post-Brexit world, where are those builders going to come
0: from? Yeah, and it's interesting that the focus for Labour for the past two weeks has been on social care. Uh, Yvette Cooper and others have basically said that um, because we've got this rule whereby overseas people can come in on lower wages, it's fueling aspects of exploitation within the social care sector where there's lower regulations and a sense that they don't need to give people the same wages uh, that they would otherwise. But this is exactly
2: why people talk about immigration as being the drug that hides so much failure in other parts of the economy because the the option is to actually pay people in social work at a rate where uh, British people would happily take those jobs and at the moment there's
0: no way the government can afford to do that. No quite I mean Back in his CBI speech last year, Keir Starmer described it as an immigration dependency. So he was very much using that language of addiction and of you know irrational uh, desire to bring people in because we don't want to really address the long-term problems. I mean, I was speaking to a few Labour people this week and they were concerned... Well, some of them were concerned that they're not going to be able to address this in the short term because uh, as they need the people coming into the economy to help with economic growth. There were others who were extremely concerned about the numbers uh, per se. Too high, we need to address this. But then they were also concerned that there wouldn't be the political will within the party in the long term to bring it down. So there is a a, a debate going on uh, within the party that's quite... It's quite feisty and quite lively in a way that I don't think has always been the case. It's, it's no longer taboo to say these things.
2: No, it certainly isn't. And we've had a great and easy time pointing the finger and going ho, ho, ho at Tory divisions yeah. over migration. But exactly the same thing, kind of thing, I think
0: you're quite right, is going to happen if we get a future Labour government. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to submit a question for us to discuss on a future podcast, you can do so at newstatesman.com forward slash us. If you're listening on Spotify, just scroll down on the episode page and type your reply. Or if you're watching on YouTube, just leave a question in the comments. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me, Freddie Hayward, and our political editor, Andrew Marr. We'll be back tomorrow to answer your questions in our next episode, You Ask Us. This episode was produced by Catherine Hughes.